right. We are live. So, how are you doing, Ryan? Hey, Ben. Uh, not too bad. How are you doing? I am all right. I have uh, I've just been, you know, made got up, made an omelet, been reading G.A. Cohen to get ready for class this afternoon. So that's yeah. that's been my day. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, I haven't done much today. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Woke up, uh, started watching Return of the King. I'm, I've been working my way through the extended edition Lord of the okay. Rings, like I do every few years. So uh, yeah. Uh, all right, that's all right. That's that's that is a thing you can do. It's a thing I can do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of, I have to admit, I kind of thought that the uh, the theatrical versions were a little too extended. Um. Yeah. Not not for me. I I, I I'm delighted the whole thirty hours of, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. All right. All right. I was thinking about. Um, we could talk about. And uh, and I thought it might be fun to talk for a few minutes about punishment. So okay. uh, this is um, just because this is something I know that you uh, you have thoughts on, and mm-hmm. um, and that you you sort of know more about the like academic literature about uh, about this than I do. So. Uh, I guess I guess just a, a place to uh, a place to start is this, right? So, um, I always say uh, you're a resident free will expert, and uh, and one reason that people are sometimes interested in thinking about free will and thinking about whether people are really responsible for their actions is because they associate it um, with the issue of criminal punishment and. Uh, in one of a couple of directions, one of them being that, you know, like just crudely, you could worry that um, it's it's only justifiable. You know, some people think this, certainly certainly some undergraduates uh, think this in my experience, it's, you know, that it's only justifiable to uh, to criminally punish people if, if you think they're really responsible for their actions. Mm-hmm. And that therefore, you know, that makes the view that nobody really is responsible for their actions like alarmingly counterintuitive. But another direction is that I I find I think oftentimes a certain kind of leftist when they um you know, when they think about this, uh have the same sort of intuitive sense of the relationship between these concepts, but they have the opposite bias, right? That they think that if um they think that, you know, belief that people are responsible for their actions is sort of responsible for the kind of, um, you know, grotesquely punishment-happy way that we think about punishment in the U.S. And that, mm-hmm. uh, and that therefore, it would be, a, you know, therefore, if, um, you know, like, if investigation of this topic shows us that there's no such thing as free will and nobody's actually ultimately responsible for their actions, then that's good news. Uh, because mm-hmm. because that should that should help us uh, to to like weed ourselves off of it and you know move towards some sort of more humane way of thinking about punishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I think I think that's right. I I, I get the sense that people um, are pulled in those two different directions. Um, um, so one of the things that I like. Uh, that I want to, that I try to argue at least, um, and that I that I want to argue, uh, 
is that um, I totally sympathize with that left impulse that we are punishment crazy, punishment happy, um, and that you know we really enjoy seeing people suffer because we think they deserve to suffer. Um, and so what I want to, you know, what, what I and some other people want to argue is that there's a way of salvaging moral responsibility that doesn't have any particular commitments to those uh, kinds of views of punishment. Um, and that uh, in general, that uh, holding a view of basic moral responsibility, which is like the basic view that people can deserve praise and blame, people, people can really be deeply responsible for what they do. Um, does not commit you to that kind of retributive view of the purpose of a formal criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I can certainly see that, right? That you you could think, um, I mean, because, I mean, just in a normal intuitive way, we all think that, uh, you know, we all think that it's at least sometimes true that yeah. uh, that people do bad things, that they're, are completely under their control. They're entirely responsible for them, but you know we still, uh, you know, we still don't want the, uh, you know, we still don't want the uh, the criminal justice system to get involved. You know, I, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I, I think that um, it's, you know, if you, um, I don't know, like, like if you only ever talk to uh, to your parents when you need money from them. And um, and and you do it in a manipulative way, and then like you you ignore them the rest of the time. I think that's morally wrong, but I don't think anybody should be. And, you know, and I think typically people are responsible for doing it, but mm -hmm. I also don't think anybody should be in prison for that. Yeah. Um. So so I I could see how like you could separate the views. Um. That you know you could think you know yes on responsibility, no on punishment, mm -hmm. which I think anybody. You know, yes, on responsibility, no on responsibility to justifying punishment, which I think, I think anybody, um, you know, I, I think anybody on reflection should be able to see that, right? That like, even if it runs in the one direction, that you can't have this really retributive view of punishment without thinking, you know, you can't coherently have it without thinking that people are responsible for their actions, they're in control mm -hmm. of their actions. Um, you know, you could certainly think the second thing without thinking the first thing, but I guess right. that... Uh, yeah, right. So I guess I'm curious, though, about um, what you think that, like, on views like yours, like what the, you know, what the relationship is, right? Because you could just say, like, people who, I guess to try to ground it a different way, people who think that, um, you know, people who who think that, we have a sort of, uh, you know, overly retributive view of punishment, which I certainly agree with. Mm -hmm. We'll oftentimes say things like uh, the sort of the only purpose of, of punishment is something like a utilitarian one that it's uh, that like it's it's like purely like, you know, the only reason that you would ever criminally punish anybody would be a. Uh, would be, you know, because it's like good for public safety to do so, mm -hmm. and that responsibility just doesn't really have enter into the equation at all. And I'm not totally sure where you land on this stuff, but my, you know, but my sense is that it's not that. That's right. That's not my views. Yeah. So, um, and so I will say, I mean, before I get critical, like um, there are some people, and, and these are generally free will skeptics, who argue for the abolishment of punishment. 
and they want to replace it with something that is basically utilitarian, basically consequentialist. Um, and so some of the most sophisticated versions of, of this kind of view are coming from people like uh, Dirk Pearbaum and Greg Caruso, um, especially uh, especially Greg Caruso has been really developing a worked out view of this. Um, so on their view, we should replace punishment with um, some kind of combination of basically a quarantine system. So so both Pearbaum and Caruso really like this quarantine model of criminal justice where where part of the purpose is like an analogy with what you would do with someone who had a disease. Like, you know, we can relate to COVID recently. So if, um, so if someone is dangerous to people around them, you might quarantine them. And if, if they refuse to do it willingly, you might, you, you might say we're justified in doing it. Not because the person with the disease deserves to be locked up, but just because the person with the disease um, needs to be kept separate from the rest of us. So, so we can give a kind of self-defense justification for doing it. Um, and and so that's part of it. And then also you, part of the purpose of, of a criminal justice system would be re- rehabilitating people um, so that they could become, hopefully, uh, people who could safely reenter society. Um, so there is that view of criminal justice. And I do think, you know, those two purposes of a criminal justice system are essential. And if you get rid of retribution, you can put more emphasis on those things. But if that's all you're doing, if that's the only justification for what we're doing in criminal justice and we take more responsibility out of it completely, um, then you run into all kinds of problems. And I know that you you, you agree with some of these problems, too. Um, so some of the obvious ones, for example, um, one, one issue is if, 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 um, if our justification for criminal justice is purely about the consequences, uh, then there's no deep reason in principle not to... Um, in some cases, say punish an innocent person. Um, if 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 by punishing an innocent person, you you know, um, if if the person looked guilty and enough people were convinced he was guilty, and by punishing him, you could produce some good social consequences, send a message, or whatever, um, then there would be no deep fundamental reason not to do that. If if your justification for the criminal justice system is purely uh, purely based on the outcomes, purely based on the consequences. Yeah, just to just to jump in on that point, uh, yeah. the issue I think isn't just that um, the sort of like you know philosophers kind of example that might seem that you know that some people might feel comfortable shrugging off about like you know the you know whatever the prosecutor and the judge and the chief of police conspiring to lock up an innocent person to prevent riots or whatever right uh you know which is sort of the equivalent of you know a lot of a you know like basically it's just the equivalent of a lot of standard objections to utilitarianism you know why don't you knock you know knock the healthy patient over the head and then you know distribute his organs to all the people who will die if they don't get organ transplants right but uh but I, but i think there there might be a more grounded version of this, which is that, I mean, a lot of our most like humane and liberal intuitions about how criminal justice systems should work are based on the idea that there's something like really, really particularly bad mm-hmm. about, um, about punishing an innocent person such that we would, um, you know, we would really like, Air on the side of uh, of not doing that, even if even That's if right. not doing that could have really bad consequences. Like you know, in other words, 
like, I mean, not to make this more complicated than it has to be, you know, like there's the, you know, Blackstone's maxim, right. You know, that it's, it's better to, uh, you know, it's, it's better to, you know, set, you know, 10 guilty people free than to, you know, lock up one innocent one. That's and, right. And, and that seems to, and that, and that seems not immediately obvious how to justify that just purely based on the consequences. Cause of course, it's one thing to say, yeah, you should like try not to, you know, you should try not to lock up innocent people if all you're worried about is the consequences, because then you're, you know, you're doing something, you know, like you're, you're unnecessarily depriving this person of their liberty when, you know, when you don't have to, but yeah. that, that doesn't really seems like that by itself doesn't really seem strong enough to get you there. That's right. Um, that's right. And so, I mean, and, and that's the thing is from the purely, uh, from the purely skeptical view, nobody deserves to be punished, right? right? In terms of dessert, the criminal and the non-criminal equally do not deserve to be put behind bars. Um, so, if, yeah, like you say, if, if, you're, if it's based purely on consequences and, and we're just saying, well, in spite of the fact people don't deserve it, sometimes um, we need to do this for consequentialist reasons, then like you say, so you have the extreme case, you know, the extreme case where people might conspire to lock up innocent people, but also, yeah, like Blackstone's maxim, like that would go out the window. Like, at the, at the very, you know, if we could produce good consequences with a criminal justice system that didn't deliberately lock up innocent people, but erred in the in favor of locking up innocent people, uh-huh. or like if we reversed the maxim and decided it was better to, uh, and maybe the consequences turned out better, that it was better to to lock up ten innocent people than to free one guilty one, and if that produced better consequences, then there would be no deep reason not to arrange our criminal justice system that way. Yeah, and and maybe to put a to like, uh, put a little bow on that. I think that. One way of seeing the point is that if the criminal and the non-criminal equally don't deserve to be punished, and so the only question is whether you're going to be like serving public safety in some way if uh, if you if you do this, or you know, and, and whether that way is sufficient to like balance out the lost liberty for the person who's being locked up for some period of time, mm-hmm. um, then okay, I mean, surely. There are, you know, like there are lots of cases where there's some reasonable doubt to be had about whether locking up someone who really is guilty is going to yeah. serve any kind of public safety purpose, right? I mean, like, you know, like it could be that they really weren't going to do it again, and you know, and that yeah. like not that many people are going to be influenced by hearing about it, and you know, that's ex- right, that's right. You know, so 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 certainly one counterintuitive thing about this is that you're losing the idea that there's something more objectionable about, uh, like if there's a 50% chance, you know, let's say there's a 40% chance that somebody's innocent and, you know, that there's something more objectionable about locking up that person than someone who there's a 40% chance that they really weren't going to do it again. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that, that's one, um, Greg Caruso, I, I think in his recent work deals with that objection to some extent. Um, you know, and he, he outlines reasons why this maybe wouldn't be likely to happen in his view. But he also kind of bites the bullet. He just says, like, look, you know, if they're if they really were a criminal and, like, we really could prove that they weren't going to or were extremely unlikely to, you know, even if they had murdered a bunch of people. But we could show they were really unlikely to do it again and, and no one <laughs> knew about it and no one was very upset about it and yada yada. Then he says, yeah, there's no there's no reason to, <laughs> to lock that person up, um, which, you know... Um, 
I think a lot of people would be uh, intuitively unhappy with. You feel like that person, because of their responsibility, um, should pay some sort of price for uh, for what they did. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, okay. So so if we don't like the view that um, that people that it's like that responsibility is just completely irrelevant to whether or not to punish people. Mm-hmm. But we're also not crazy about the idea that like the, the point of, you know, the point of a, a defensible criminal justice system is to like, you know, inflict suffering on people because they have it coming because of what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, like if, if, if neither of those quite sit right, like what's, what's, uh, what's behind door number three. <laughs> Um, so here's here's the door number three that at least I'm attracted to, and I, I wrote one paper where I touched on it slightly. Um, and you know, if I were writing more, I would <laughs> I would do more of this. Um, but the door number three. So I, I was first exposed to this view um, reading a book, uh, "The Problem of Punishment," and I'm, I think it was David Boonin is the author. If yeah. I'm remembering right. Um, so he, you know, it extended, and it's really, it's a really neat book for anyone who is at all attracted to punishment. You should read it because he tries to attack like every, um, every justification that's been given for uh, retributive punishment. Um, and then what he argues we should replace it with is what he calls a pure uh, restitution model of criminal justice. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the pure restitution model of criminal justice, um, there's still a role for moral responsibility. Um, so, you know, people can only face any kind of, of public consequences if they really are responsible for what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the goal of the pure restitution model of justice is that um, it's not that you make a person suffer because they deserve to suffer, but you you try to do things to make the person repay their debt to uh, society. Um, so the core idea is that, um, A, you know, most directly um, – you know, if I've harmed a person, then the criminal justice system, one of the functions it can perform is to make me repay the harm, to co- try to correct and restore um, uh, whatever whatever harm or whatever things I deprive that person of. Um, and this fits nicely with certain uh, practical approaches to criminal justice. And so one of these is the restorative approach to ju- restorative justice, which mm-hmm. um, has started to get some attention and started to be practiced in some contexts here. And it's been practiced in some contexts in other countries um, where instead of – so uh, on this model, it doesn't work for all crimes very well. Um, but for a lot of crimes, it does work quite well. So on this model, instead of having a traditional trial where you you know you sit before a judge and a jury – and this impartial judge and jury um, decides whether the person is guilty or innocent, decides what crimes they've committed and what punishment they deserve. Um, you have the criminal and the victim sit down in a mediation with with some counselors and other people um, and sit and talk through what happened um, and try amongst themselves to come to some kind of arrangement of uh, of what the victim can or what the criminal can do to 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 repay, so to speak, the debt to the, uh, to the victim. Um, and so that can involve, um, and, and then more extreme cases, cases like say murder, you know, immediately occur, like how are you going to resolve that with murder? Um, so there you can say, well, we can't directly repay the victim, but the person has also done a great harm to society. Um, 
And so you can, you, you know, you might in some cases have to do things that look like traditional punishment, but the goal again is not to make them suffer for the sake of suffering, but to 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 um, do what you have to do to to make them uh, try to fix or correct whatever harm they did to society, including making other people feel unsafe, disrupting the social order, et cetera. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I guess the I guess the thing that sticks out about that last example is that um, it it sort of seems like the thing you know the most important wrong you know uh, that you do when you commit murder. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I can certainly see that one of the wrongs that you do it is that you make people feel unsafe and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, you know, that that, yeah. that doesn't really seem like the main issue. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, and that's I mean, that's the hardest example for this model. Um, so, I mean, but there are I mean, there are versions of I mean, so one of the things you can do is you can have um, the uh, the criminal sit down with the, you know, the family and the friends and the loved ones of the of the victim um, and there are some like really interesting cases, really interesting stories where people have um, um, and where people have like connected with the families of the victim um, and um, came to some kind of understanding. And there have been interesting cases where families of the victim like will plea on behalf of the murderer, um, saying, you know, we don't want the death penalty for this person. We want him to serve his sentence. We want him to be in jail. Um, you know, we want him to do what he can to try to repay his debt to us and to our lost loved one and to society from behind bars. Um, and that can be all kinds of things, you know, spend a life um, doing outreach programs, doing work to, to for society. Um, but we don't want this person killed. Um, so, I mean, I, I so, yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> like, um, it would be, you know, it would be ideal if there was some way to, to have the murder victims sit down and say what they wanted. But unfortunately, like, you know, because that is the primary harm that's being done. Um, but there are still some things you can do um, that, that produce, I think, better outcomes than, you know, just having an impartial judge and jury. So one of the big harms of having a judge and jury decide things the way we do is that the victims usually get very little voice in that process. Um, it usually doesn't matter what the victims or the families of the victims want to happen to the criminal. Um, it's just completely out of their hands. Um, yeah, that that seems wrong, wrongheaded. Right, right. Yeah, no, I could I could see that. I mean, I think that, um, I think that, presumably, like, I mean, I, I guess, I guess, one tricky thing about all of this too is that the whole framework seems to seems to rely on somebody who admits that they did it. That's right. That's right. Um, it does. Um, and of course, so of course it's going to be imperfect. You're going to sometimes have a victim who doesn't admit they did it. Um, but I think there is, um, there are reasons to think, um, that you're more likely to get someone to admit their guilt if they're sitting in a conversation, um, through a process of mediated sessions with the victim. Um, it's, you know, unlike, I mean, there's the pure sociopath who just doesn't care whatsoever. And, right, right. Yeah, but, uh, but beyond that, most people, if they're sitting face to face with a victim and having conversations with the victim, they're more likely to break down and finally feel guilty enough face to face with the victim to confess what they did than, you know, sitting bef before some cop that they hate or whatever, or a judge or a jury. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I, 
you know, sure, that that seems like it's probably going to be true in most cases. I mean, I guess. Um, I mean, I guess I'd be a little bit worried, depending on the details of how it played out, right? If like, mm-hmm. uh, if about like the idea that um, that you know, like you like you know, you'd end up getting worse outcomes for yourself by sort of. Um, you know, not submitting to all of this or like not admitting that you did it because, because one consequence of that would be that, uh, would be that unjustly convicted people would end up being punished more harshly than, you know, than, mm-hmm. than people who really did it, yeah. uh, which, which we really wouldn't really want, but that's right. Uh, um, although that's current, that's our current system as well. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's fair. So, yeah. Right. Cause, um, yeah, cause, so, cause, cause yeah. if you, cause if you don't admit that you did it, you know, yeah. then like parole boards won't think you're showing remorse. Yeah, parole boards, you're not going to get the plea bargaining. You're not going to, you know, the parole board's not going to let you go. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, there are definitely a lot of like huge potential problems, I think with yeah. any criminal justice system. Yeah. Um, and so this, will also have some of those same issues. Um, but it might be, it might still be, it might, it might still be uh, the, a better approximation of justice than what we have. Yeah. 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 No, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it, I mean, it is funny, right? Because I think that, um, like a lot of people, and this is not a huge, I mean, this is not like a mortal sin. Like that's like, it's a, it's a legitimately confusing subject, but like a lot of people are kind of all over the place about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sort of on the one hand, like, you know, you'll, I mean, like the most extreme version is like the, you know, the, the prison abolitionist who, who, you know, who thinks that like, a you know, a cop who wrongfully killed somebody, you know, and who's only getting, you know, 15 years in prison, you know, that that's not enough, you know, they should be getting, mm-hmm. you know, 20 or 30 years in prison. It's like, okay, yeah. I, thought, I thought you didn't yeah. believe in prison, right? <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like, that's no, the... Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's easy to, when things particularly catch your attention or you're particularly incensed by them to like really feel the force of that kind of retributivist mm-hmm. um, intuition. But, but I also think that it's like, a little bit much to, to ask people to just, um, you know, to just like completely, you know, completely transcend that. Right. You know, which, which, so I think that that is probably something to be said for this restitution model that it sort of, uh, it sort of gives the idea that you, that it's, uh, that it's legitimate for, for victims or people who care about victims to, you know, to, to want there to be some kind of consequences. It's due yes. without, you know, like, but, you know, in a way that might be more humane and reasonable than, than just, you know, yeah. mandatory minimums and, you know, and all of that stuff. That's right. And yeah. And the other, the other thing I find attractive about this uh, pure restitution model, and the reason why I think it fits better with kind of the best models of moral responsibility is that it really gives a place for all of those kinds of important reactive attitudes. So it gives a place for uh, the victims. You know, we we intuitively, and I think on good moral responsibility models, we can say, you know, the victim is justified and has a right to express their anger, to express their hurt, um, you know, to 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 condemn or or whatever they want to do with with the person who has harmed them. 
and the pure restitution model, especially the, like when we in like the restorative justice processes involved in that, um, give a very direct role for that um, in a formal criminal justice system, which I think is positive. Um, and also, it gives a very direct role for the the offender um, if mm-hmm. they choose to to really express remorse, um, to really be involved in the process of how they can make things up to the victim. Um, and, and, and so, I mean, both of the models we have, we were talking about before, the, the uh, pure retribution model and our formal justice system for dealing with that doesn't really give much of a role for those things. There's small roles for it. I mean, you know, sometimes victims can give statements as part of the trial process. Right. Um, and you know, sometimes we, you know, like you see, parole boards might take into account whether you admit guilt or whatever. It gives a small role for those things, but it doesn't give a central role for those things. And then, of course, the uh, like pure quarantine model of criminal justice doesn't really give a role for those things at all, because on on that view and the associated skeptical view of moral responsibility, um, blame and resentment, and also and and also forgiveness and shame and guilt and apology, like. All of those things, those basic moral reactive attitudes, become radically um, diminished if not um, if not just eliminated entirely. At least that's how I see. You know, there there are some moral responsibility skeptics who want to still sit, defend um, a role of a version of forgiveness and apology, et cetera. Um, but it's a, but it's, I, a t- I, it's a tougher fit. Yeah, it's a much tougher fit. I'm, I'm so I and I don't think their accounts succeed. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that is, um, yeah, that is extremely interesting. I I think, think about this. Um, yeah, no, that, that makes sense, right? So I, I mean, I think, um, I mean, you know, we, like we went over some, some obvious doubts about this, this earlier and, you know, and, and I guess, uh, you know, I, I do, <laughs> um, you know, I am very attached to the, uh, the objective judge and jury, uh, all that stuff for this, yeah. for the sake of like determinations of facts, mm-hmm. but, uh, but you know, for... yeah. and you might still have a role for that for like, you know, just determining the facts of the case, like what yeah. happened, is the person guilty? There might be a role for an, a purely objective says, you know, you don't want, uh-huh. um, cause sometimes victims might be inclined emotionally to think someone's guilty without good factual evidence. So right. in terms of like the guilt or innocence, let's have our, let's have our formal system for determining that and do that as best as we possibly can. Um, but in terms of, okay, now what, how are we going to treat the criminal? If we do determine beyond a reasonable doubt that they're guilty, um, then the restorative justice model, I think is much better. Right. Yeah. Now that, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and yeah, like I, so I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not totally sure what I think about this, but I, I do think that it, I do think that at least, uh, it does avoid two things that I find extremely unattractive, which are, um, like the, the idea that it's, it's just sort of an automatic relationship, you know, did bad thing, therefore suffering. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and also, uh, and also the idea that, there's no um that like yeah also also the the sort of medicalized idea of of how to think about this stuff you know the um 
which which is which yeah both seems like a, a bad fit with a lot of sort of core intuitions about the rights that uh the defendants should have mm-hmm. and and also um that you know and, and it also seems like I mean, oddly, right? I mean, if if the if the rule if the you know if one problem with like a purely retributive way of thinking about this is that it like, um, you know, is is you know whatever that it leads it leads to you know this sort of uh to sort of dehumanize uh people who who have committed crimes uh then it seems like one problem with with just seeing it as like purely the equivalent of a medical quarantine mm-hmm. is is that it, it it's like really dismissive of like all of the obvious, you know, all all of the obvious feelings that we think are legitimate. Yeah. You know, normally when, when people have been victimized by crimes or exactly. Yeah. Care about whoever's been victimized, uh, victimized by crimes. And I guess I'd also say, I mean, there's a, to, to sort of, you know, and if anybody wants to, wants to call in, you know, we, we don't have to stay on this, uh, but actually, yeah, if, if anybody wants to call, we could probably take one quick call before we go. But the, uh, but, uh, but I, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I think to to bring it a little bit to politics, I think that, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, like I, I often find myself in a kind of weird place on this stuff because because uh, I think that there are uh, there are some people on the left who have. Uh, what I think are unrealistic ideas about um, about the the kind of like future of of like crime and you know and 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 like what criminal justice systems you need and all that stuff like like I think um, you know I, I think we could live in a world with absolutely no you know like with absolutely no economic inequality and like everybody having all their material needs met. And like there would still be some interpersonal violence because like people are like that. Yes, you know? <laughs> yes, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> you know, so so yeah. I, I think that's super unrealistic. But like also, um, but also it's funny, right? Because like there are outside of the left, right? Just just in you know just in sort of mainstream society, I you know a lot of people, of course, um, I think like really err the opposite. Uh, in the opposite direction, right? And, and, and sort of like miss the fact that, uh, you know, that like, okay, not all interpersonal violence would go away if we, if we had, if we like change the material conditions, but a hell of a lot of it would. Like, yeah, you know. <laughs> that, that just seems indisputable. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, like, like nobody, like you don't have, um, yeah, I mean, in conditions where everybody's having their their material needs met, you know, et cetera, like, um, you know, you like, I mean, whatever, like, you you might have, um, like, you'd have people, you know, commit crimes against each other out of anger or lust or other things, but like, you know, and and you'd have like, you know, certain kinds of of financial crimes, you know, embezzlement and stuff, but I mean, like, you you don't really have street gangs, you yeah. know, with, <laughs> without that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and and so I, I guess, um, which actually a lot of the you know the the debate I did in Dallas uh, last uh, uh, whenever that was um, last Sunday, you know, a lot of that was uh, a lot of that was about you know this exact thing, you know, that like uh, whether you know like how much of a relation, you know, I mean, because like. 
allegedly the debate topic was you know structural racism and uh and, and policing but like what a lot of it ended up being about was about the relationship between economics and crime and it and mm. it seems like you know we don't have to sort of go to like the hypothetical you know fully automated luxury communism of the 23rd century like we we could just look at like norway right yeah. like <laughs> You know, Norway has vastly more liberal, a vastly more liberal punishment system than we do. Like for, you know, uh, I think at one point I said that the maximum punishment, uh, the the maximum punishment in Norway, since um, they don't have the death penalty for anything but treason, uh, the uh, the maximum punishment is 21 years in prison. Uh, mm-hmm. To be fair, that's false. You can get 30 years for war crimes or genocide. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, is it not the case? I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, but I, th- I think it's the case that sentences can be extended for longer, if but not for punishment reasons. But if they determine the person's still likely to commit a violent crime or something. Yeah, I think that's probably true. But I mean, yeah. like that. You know, you you don't just get like as your initial yeah. punishment. Right. You know, 25 yeah. years, um, and. You know, and so they they have this like way more, um, you know, soft on crime kind of criminal justice system than they do, but than we do. But like, yet somehow they also have much less violent crime. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's almost like meeting the the material needs of their citizens makes some kind of difference. It's weird. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> You know, so, so, so it does, and, you know, and, and again, I, I know people will try to have like all kinds of like cultural explanations of this stuff, but I, uh-huh. I, I would just yeah. point out that if you, um, that I would, I would point out that historically Norwegians have not always been nonviolent. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, there is a bit of violence in their cultural history. <laughs> exactly. So. <laughs> You know, I, <laughs> yeah. um, or you, know, you could like go for the really fun biological explanation. Um, yeah, maybe those Viking genes just got weeded out over the over the centuries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I, I think it's not unreasonable to think that you could you know go much further in that direction and and have even better results along those lines, but also. Um, you know, but also you're going to have some remainder and, you know, that probably is something to, like, so that, you know, if you're optimistic about that, that might make the restorative justice model that much more interested because like the sort of, um, you know, because kind of the less, the less violent crime you're imagining your society dealing with and at the end at less of a scale, the more realistic it probably is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Uh, well, hey, this was fun. I should I should yeah. probably uh should probably wrap it up for today so I can finish getting ready for class. We'll we'll do uh I'm going to try to do uh going to try to establish a, a more regular um schedule for these things, still figuring it out, but mm-hmm. um but I think probably about this time is is one of the unlike Sundays uh, is probably a good it's probably a good one to have one of them. But anyway, I'm going to get going. Uh, Ryan Lake is at Chaos Pet on uh, on Twitter, and is a uh, philosophy professor and an occasional cartoonist for uh, the Daily Noose, 
yeah. uh, has one there very recently. Yeah. Yeah. Go check it out. Yeah, right. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Ryan. Bye. See you.